0: To General Intellect Unit. This week we're back with part two of our discussion of xenofeminism. So if you haven't caught the first episode, I'd recommend you pause this one, go back one episode, and start from there. As always, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. This, this next section, what this one slid off my brain. I just couldn't get, like, get a
1: grip on it at all. The Zero X. Mm-hmm. What's this one about? <laughs> yeah, this this feels like... Uh, in in a section that is full of these, like, just, you know, absolutely piercing takes, this is very kind of um, amorphous. It's um, a vestigial tail <laughs> or something. Yeah, so what... Um, essentially what this section is talking about is how we need to be conscious of the memes and language that are used online um and like how memes like anonymity ethics social justice and privilege checking uh host social dynamisms at odds with the often commendable intentions with which they're taken up which is just to say that like this is kind of about like polysemy and like the way in which the meanings of things can shift in online discourse. Right. And how we need to be, we need to be conscious in our interactions with language um, and, and be instrumental uh, in our interactions with language online. And I think that's something that people are very conscious of, um, you know, coming out of the linguistic turn and, all of the social theory that came out of that, um, influencing the um, the sort of upbringing of the Tumblr generation, um, I think people are very conscious of these things, uh, but at the same time, they're they're very difficult to struggle with, um, and they're they're sometimes um, out of our control. There's something we need to pay attention to, but again, this is this is this is not a very um, clear paragraph. No. I think. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> A lot, along those lines, it's kind of like saying like these these things are not what they seem. Like mm-hmm. an- anonymity, ethics, social justice, and privilege checking are not what they seem online. You know, like mm-hmm. you you'd think they'd be good, but they're not.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, watch out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: because they they're like uh, they're structured to not do what they say they're going to. And so it's it's the it seems like the structure is the, manip- the manipulate. Manipulation of desires, puppet strings—I don't know, like all the stuff it says later. on. It, it is a little ambiguous in what it's saying because I think it wants to be positive. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: yeah, I got I got tripped up on this one pretty badly. I just, oh boy, um, I just need to need to get better at reading. Um, but anyway, uh, coming on to the next one, um, get into the parody section, and um, we get it. We get into. One of the sort of major uh, locuses that there, these people are focused on, um, gender abolitionism. yeah, this this is an interesting paragraph, and that um, it's sort of all about uh, when we say gen- gender abolitionist, it's not kind of eradicating it's not necessarily eradicating the the, the 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 existence of gender, but sort of proliferating gender to such an extent that it becomes invalid as a basis for power or through difference. like it's it's so much difference that you, you, you can't be used as a sorting function to, to differentiate anything anymore, um, which is a good take. You know,
1: it's an it's, an inter- it's a really interesting take. Yeah, it says, uh, gender abolitionism is shorthand for the ambition to construct a society where traits currently assembled under the rubric of gender no longer furnish a grid for the asymmetric operation of power. Um, and I think that that is important because it gets at... It gets at the dimension of oppression, uh, that is connected to identity. Um, and, and like, that's where we need to be focusing. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. This paragraph was awesome for me. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this actually, uh, enlightened me of a few things. Uh, that I struggle with with gender in myself sometimes. Mm. Um, being a non-binary person, um, I kind of my gender fluctuates. Like I'm gen- I'm gender queer. I'm, I'm not in the middle of of man and woman. I'm just kind of I I don't agree with those definitions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Um, you know, I don't, I don't fit into any kind of, uh, line in between those two things. Um, and I love, 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 love the idea of gender abolitionism, um, in the sense that we get rid of that concept, uh, you know, but it, it says let a hundred sexes bloom,
1: which, <laughs> which I don't know
2: why they said sexes, but that's fine. Um, right. but you know, I, I, think that the concept is, is a very non-binary concept, Um, and it's interesting because, um, another YouTuber I watched Contra points, who is a a recently out trans woman, she, she's coming out on, um, on youtube which is bananas like going through her transition publicly right Mm. um and uh she had recently talked about how she thinks that non-binary people are fighting for something harder than binary trans people are something weirder and more radical about Mm. gender and Mm. it is kind of similar to this concept of gender, gender abolitionism um
0: right uh, no, I was going to say that uh, I feel like it's also really important that this is con- this is stated in terms of multiplicity and proliferation of genders, because um, when the term gender abolition com- comes up, uh, a lot of normies sort of react as like, it's a, like a sort of like a Stalinist imposition that they're, we're going to erase gender by making everyone dress in grey uniforms and shaving everyone's heads or something, you know, um, which would be these sort of like collapsing gen collapsing to one gender essentially but this is like talking about proliferating so many genders that it's it's there's no point keeping track of them anymore it's just like there's just so much that it's um it's like the way sand behaves as a fluid right like that there are so many particles so many individual things that it it you zoom out and it just feels like a swirling kind of a a fluid mass um and that's that's it's really interesting that it's counterposed against like the um the, the the sort of the opposite which would be like uh, collapsing and forcing everyone into one identity or whatever um, this is no you can have, have, have as many identities as you want take them like grab a bucket there's there's plenty to go around
1: you know
2: <laughs> absolutely and I, I think that is where we are headed we have always been there for sure like in our past we have accepted more than two genders um, but even more than three right um, and yeah. and it's a very it's a very sci-fi concept like getting back to the xenofeminism like this idea of like 100 hundreds of hundreds of gender opportunities and everyone everyone can see them <laughs> yes. you know not not just the queer folks um and and that that gets rid of that power dynamic of um you know the, the patriarchal power dynamic which which this is such such a cool description um no longer furnish a grid for the asymmetric operation of power yeah it's um, brilliant it's just so good cuz it doesn't it doesn't once say uh, men <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it just talks about the power dynamics inherent in gender and because there's power dynamics inherent in other genders too. Um, yeah and, and, you know there there is talked about a lot recently um the power dynamics between binary trans people and non-binary trans people, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, that was just so cool. I thought it was such, such a great way of putting it. You know, it's not necessarily masculine or men or the patriarchy, just like we need to be aware of what that power dynamic looks like.
1: Yeah, and I really like the way that they connect this, uh, like, intersectionally. So when they talk about race of abolitionism, uh, it's like, well, yeah, like, you know, these these sort of um, physical markers or physical characteristics uh, will no longer uh, be categorized into races, right? Like, the, those arbitrary distinctions will not be policed. Um, and... Then they talk about uh, class abolitionism, right? Um, And I really like this line at the end here, you're not exploited or oppressed because you are a wage laborer or poor, you are a laborer or poor because you are exploited. Right, and this is getting to the relational nature of these things, right? Um, and and I think that's very, very important. Um, is very important to to understand uh, that, yeah, like getting away from your exploitation as an identity and focusing on the exploitation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and the uh, the next paragraph then sort of continues. It sort of builds on that thought a little bit with the um, the understanding that the this uh, this these. Uh these abolitions um, hinge on a sort of reworking of the universal. Um, And the sort of gist here is that it's a sort of rejecting the kind of false universals of, you know, taking a particular trait such as whiteness or maleness and... Making that turning that particular into a universal, and instead dig, digging down under all of the particulars to find the sort of real universal substrate of humanity, and sort of hinging on that as your as your as your concept of a universal. So it, it is a sort of a it, it's in in one way um, a uh, you know it's 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 telling us to try try and reclaim a notion of a universal which has been sort of lost recently. I think. Um, or in, in more recent times in that, like, we're because we're rejecting, you know, uh, whiteness as a universal, maleness as a universal, and so on, there's a danger of le- ending up in a place where there are no universals, which leaves you with no ground to stand on for these abolitionist
1: sort of projects. Um, yeah, yeah. Absent such a universal, the abolition of class will remain a bourgeois fantasy. The abolition of race will remain a tacit white supremacism. And the abolition of gender will remain a thinly veiled misogyny, uh, even especially when prosecuted by avowed feminists themselves, so it's very, very strong statement here. Um, yeah, you know, reacting to yeah Eurocentrism, reacting to uh, you know just like the, the patriarchy, um, to, to white supremacy, um, and and uh, towards the cisgender norms of our society, right? But like saying those things do not negate the validity of the universal as a liberatory principle.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like a subversion of status quo. It's like what this is kind of talking about. Um, it, it, it's very, it's very feminism, intersectional feminism, 101 in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's, you know, it's just talking, I, I guess it goes a step further than intersectional feminism, which usually says we need to deconstruct, you know, these, and it says, actually, we need to rebuild um a universal, right? Um it's it's not good enough to just deconstruct it. We need to rebuild it. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of cool because uh, you know feminism seems to be a lot about building things.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: a yeah, positive orientation, yeah.
2: Yeah. So you know taking the offensive, you know, not just deconstructing it and making something new. Um so that's super cool. Like you just can't you can't just uh get rid of gender. You have to build build new status quo for gender and building new genders and, you,
0: know, you know yes yes yeah and um and speaking of building then that brings us on to the the, the next the next uh, paragraph where we're talking about like building a sort of mutable architecture that like open source software remains available for perpetual modification and enhancement following the navigational impulse of militant ethical reasoning um yeah so this this is you know, continuing that theme of being being positive and building things up and but also sort of wanting to have it be um, a flexible sort of mutant architecture that um, that can kind of um, serve as a as a platform for all these things developing going forwards. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved this idea. Um, this 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 tied back to staying with the trouble a lot too. Where um, Donna Haraway is, um, she kind of talks about all these different feminist ecological art projects (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that are uh, the, the easiest one to talk about is, um, uh, how a lot of feminists decided to collectively all over the world, make art installations that looked like coral reefs. So they were like, um, and they were often like knitted or crocheted with like, you know, you know, it's like a women's art type of thing. Mm. Um, and it was basically a, a big project that anyone could do to raise awareness about the dying coral reef. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, it, this reminds me a lot of that. It's kind of like a collaborative ever changing art project. Like that's what gender should be. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And that's, I- so, that's so cool as an artist. Like I'm totally on board with that. It's, uh, it's really, and it's about building that together. It's about working
1: Yeah, um, and uh, I think um, this line here, uh, open, however, does not mean undirected. The most durable systems in the world owe their stability to the way they train order to emerge as an invisible hand from apparent spontaneity uh, or exploit the inertia of investment and sedimentation. I especially just think that this, this kind of ties into the kind of autopoiesis stuff that we saw with cybernetics, right, that... That that there is a cybernetic angle to be talked about here in terms of building these things um, as as a as a universal in process, building these things as a work of art or a series of works of art or a, a, a um, uh, an assembly of works of art, uh, but also creating um, systems that are auto poetic and and produce sort of auto-generating effects mm-hmm. in a positive direction um yeah which is um similar to the it's it's the sort of this same
0: thematic notion of like a virality um that it's um it's a it's a new sort of thing that's going to spread itself and, um, and for for the for the listeners who aren't familiar uh, autopoiesis is this um characteristic of a system that produces more of itself as, as it grows um yeah um yeah again this 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 viral notion right like we're building building this open uh mutant sort of platform that will spread of its own accord and um and have a yeah the the way they put it with this like invisible hand right like um it sort of reminds me of a a claim i think it's sort of adjacent to the whole accelerationist thing of like well that capitalism is this rhizomatic sort of uh auto-generating kind of thing and that the, the thing that overtakes it needs to outperform it at that game right like to be even more rhizomatic and even more um auto generating
2: yeah totally yeah also also, um it uh, kind of uh Sorry, not destabilizes is not the right word, but it, it basically gets rid of the person in charge. Like there's not one person in charge. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a system in charge. Um, and so that like changes the power structure of how the thing is run. Right. Like it's not, it's not like a white woman in charge, for example, <laughs> you know, yes. uh, it's, 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 it's a collective. um Yes. And it's a it's a system and a group and this this kind of also seems like a criticism a little bit of those communities again like <laughs> like, like we can build a community that is a system that is auto running and if, if we build it right like like a computer system like we should look at those like look at open source software as a as inspiration. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Um, so moving on to the adjust section, um, we get a. Um, there's only there's only two paragraphs in the section, but the the first one begins with um, our lot is cast with techno science, whether where nothing is so sacred that it cannot be re-engineered and transformed, so as to widen our aperture of freedom, extending to gender and to the human. Um, so yeah, like nothing nothing is supernatural. Everything is bounded inside the the sphere of nature, and nature is fully mutable. Like um, it's this kind of it's the same cybernetic monism that keeps coming up, right? Like um, the the whole sort of um, the whole thing is one system and it's and it's uh, available for uh, for engineering
1: yeah and, and it's it's the response to the earlier criticisms right yeah um, <clears throat> In, in tearing down melancholy and illusion, the unambitious and the non-scalable, the libidinized puritanism of certain online cultures and nature as an unremakable given, we find that our normative anti-naturalism has pushed us towards an unflinching ontological naturalism. There is nothing we claim that cannot be uh, studied scientifically and manipulated technologically. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very much... Um, I, I think this may be an interesting point to talk about alienation here, right? Which is I think when we criticize alienation on this show, we are often talking about the ways in which we are not able to experience the vari- like the ontological variety and richness of reality. Um, because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, and that and that is often related to the labor process, right? That that we are we are 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 cordoned off into productive boxes that um, deeply restrict the variety of our experience in a very harmful way, a uh, very painful way. And when they're talking about um, alienation here, it seems to be coming from a place of recognizing that nature or claims about what is given and natural are similarly restrictive. And in that sense, I think that they are very much, um, working towards the same end of developing this kind of experiential plurality, diversity and freedom. Um, and, and that is the end to which they are advocating alienation and this kind of like, um, anti-naturalism, right? This normative anti-naturalism as opposed to their ontological naturalism. Um, yeah. So so I think there is actually a great deal of, of overlap with what we've been saying so far in the show and what um, is being advocated in this manifesto. It's just that we've, appro- we've approached it from this kind of like philosophical background of humanism, whereas they're approaching it from this, this anti-humanism. And, and in fact, there's all these interesting overlaps. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. um We'll probably get a lot
0: more into that when we get into the um critical posthumanism bit in a couple of episodes. Oh yeah.
2: Cool. Yep.
0: <laughs> Anyone want to take the next one?
2: I to be honest, I didn't understand this part too much. So
0: is this another vestigial tale
1: like at the end of a section? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll 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 have a I'll have a shot at this. This is. Uh, Okay, so it says here, this does not mean that the distinction between the ontological and the normative, between fact and value, is simply cut and dried. Uh, The vectors of normative anti-naturalism and ontological naturalism span many ambivalent battlefields. The project of untangling what ought to be from what is, of dissociating freedom from fact, will from knowledge, is indeed an infinite task. There are many lacunae where desire confronts us with the brutality of fact and uh, where beauty is indissociable from truth. Poetry, sex, technology, and pain are incandescent with this tension we have traced, but give up on the task of revision, release the reins, and slacken that tension, and these filaments instantly dim. So they're getting to this point that they're saying is like, we are normatively anti-naturalist, but ontologically naturalist, which is to say... We're, we're, we're normatively against the, the given as a restriction on our freedom, but we are also scientists, right? We, we also believe in, in the natural world, in science, in understanding uh, nature, and that this, this introduces a real tension in our experience of the world, right? That, that, that you know, we um, are very much oriented to what the world that ought to be and is not but we are also very much uh, oriented to world towards the world that is right in the sense that we are scientists um and so we got to deal with that right? it's kind of was saying like yeah this is a tension this is a real tension um but uh you give up on that tension right you take one path or the other and the filaments dim, right? The, 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 light goes out, uh, that productive tension, that, that dialectical tension, uh, is removed. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, that, that that's kind of the point of what they're saying here. I think I like that. That's cool. Um,
0: so I mean that we're, we're skeptical of, about claims about reality, but there is in fact a real, like, and you're, you're held in tension between those two, two positions.
2: Um, mm-hmm. hmm. Yeah. It does, it does seem like another non-binary argument in this manifesto, mm. to be honest, it's like, stop looking at these extremes, <laughs> like don't, don't do one or the other, or, or live within the tension between them. Right. Yeah. Under, yeah. Understand that there's not just the two, but both of them or understand both those perspectives and, and look beyond that.
1: Yeah. It's, 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 very much, um, very much sort of echoing Hegel here, um, is yeah. my, my, my view, um, yeah cool um it's so coming on to the carry section um and
0: we're on to 0x13 um yeah kira do you want to take this one
2: uh sure um let's see oh we're talking about the potential of early t- based internet culture again
0: Ooh. um
2: yeah how, how let's see C- countering The potential for text-based internet culture for countering repressive gender regimes, generating solidarity among marginalized groups, and creating new spaces for experimentation that ignited cyberfeminism in the 90s has clearly waned in the 21st century. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so true. I feel this one so much. Um, As as a child who was on the internet in the 90s. (laughs) Uh, You know, the dominance of the visual in today's online interfaces has reinstated familiar modes of identity policing, power relations, and gender norms and self-representation. But this does not mean that the cyber feminist sensibilities belong to the past. Yay, something good. Uh, Sorting the subversive possibilities from the oppressive ones latent in today's web requires a feminism sensitive to the insidious return of old power structures yet savvy enough to know how to exploit the potential. So, uh, and then it goes on to say, digital technology are not separable from the material realities that underwrite them. Uh, So, you know, the internet is the real world, you know, don't a lot of people, you know, rely on the alibi and the anonymity that the internet gives you, but really the structures are just replicate, The structures of the real world are replicated online. Because it, it is the real world where it's just in a different space. Um so I, I that, that seems to be the the main argument of this, just to realize that and realize that, you know, um uh what does it say about f- xenofeminism here? Wait. Rather than arguing for the primacy of the virtual over the material or the material over the virtual, xenofeminism grasps points of power and powerlessness in both to unfold this knowledge as effective interventions in our jointly composed reality. So I guess it's just telling you to look at those strengths and weaknesses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I kind of read it as well as being... Um... Kind of a follow on from the, pre- the previous bit. This kind of because uh, they're, they're building up this picture of um, that, that kind of cybernetic monism, and that the the material and the virtual are ni- ni- they're both real, right? Like, um, and they're both entangled kind of phenomena, and that they feed on each other in this uh, in this reciprocal kind of way. And um, as, you, as you were saying, it's not enough to just dismiss, oh, the the online stuff that, that's not real life, you know. That's because it is it
1: is immaterial, but it is real in this in the way that, that virtual things are. Um, yeah and like as somebody who was trained in the field of communication where the, the the concept of immaterial labor has a lot of cachet and currency this is this is speaking to my soul uh, this is like yeah no like let's think about the material because there's a lot of sort of idealist bullshit that has crept into discourse about information technologies and um it is it is not to yeah it's, it's exactly as they say like let's not discount either the virtual is effective the material is effective um these can be conceptually separated but they're deeply intertwined um and uh yeah yeah it's it's, it's good stuff um yeah your, yeah your
2: comment about labor immaterial labor mind emotional labor like the invisibility of emotional mm-hmm. labor and how that that was, you know, uh, first talked about through, um, uh, like, so, lady service workers and uh, so sometimes tech workers. You know, mm-hmm. the type of work that they had to do. Uh, that's, that's really interesting to think about from an emotional labor.
1: standpoint. I, I completely agree, and I I, 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 yeah, I agree so much with that. And the, it's very, it's very important to equally think about emotional labor in a material sense. Right, like think about think about the the the, the physicality of emotional labor, right like the, the, that is just as important about thinking about so-called immaterial labor in in in, a, in light of the material um yeah, it's the, these things need to be related to each other, and they're all super important um yeah, I think it's very interesting that we have
0: this kind of um recurring theme of rejecting these kind of crass binaries by um insisting that actually they're entangled phenomena right like because um you get that you get that very crude sort of materialism that would say that emotional labor is bullshit uh virtual stuff is bullshit there's only real just like concrete materialism um and we say no these these are these are both real but in different ways and there's an entangled sort of um uh, mutually constitutive uh pair of phenomena going on there um which is yeah, it's it's sliding from a binary sort of thing to something much more fluid, um, and where you can you can view the object from many different angles, um, but also doesn't it doesn't just drift off into complete constructivism either, right? Where it's just like completely unmoored from from reality. Um, this is this is like still very concerned with the with realness um, and and actuality.
2: Yeah, this this dualism stuff uh, reminds me. Uh, Donna Haraway's critique of dualisms in the Cyborg Manifesto. Mm. I actually, actually just brought it up at, to, to like say this one sentence. She, she goes through a list of, of dualisms. Um, to recapitulate, certain dualisms have been persistent in Western traditions. They have all been systemic to the logics and practices of domination of women, people of color, nature, workers, animals. In short, domination of all constituted as others whose task is to mirror the self chief among these troubling dualisms are self other mind body culture nature male female civilized primitive reality appearance whole part agent resource maker made active passive right wrong truth illusion that's a big one in the xenofeminism mm-hmm. and total partial god man so she she kind of like makes a list of all those dualisms <laughs> and, and this is this this is like an extension of that, where it's like breaking down those dualisms.
1: Absolutely. And we've seen, you know, um, in sort of countless episodes at this point, how many of those uh, dualisms have been active in framing discourse around uh, IT, around tech, around um online um, you know the God God man right uh, man woman uh, you know uh, mental and physical like all these things are like super involved uh, in, in this and, and and to 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 recognize that the, these are intertwined phenomena um, virtual material could be added to that right um, and uh, yeah it's it's very important and i I would just say just want to give shout outs uh, to uh, to Fraser Simons our once and future guest uh, that if you you know playing his game the veil uh, which is a, t- to a large extent about this 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 conflation of virtual material uh, it was a really nice way to be able to think about this so um. yeah right yeah. yeah so in in summary I'm, fuck dualism <laughs> 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 I'm
0: going all on spinoza
2: the, uh, <laughs> the wikowskis would agree yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah i mean uh, the, the next section uh, the next paragraph is a pretty short one but it um it sort of transitions from that uh the, the from the virtual to um to the, the crudely physical in there talking about the built environment and how we sort of need to keep this in mind as um you know, a, a point of, uh, a point of leverage for, for change, right? That like, um, built environment, public spaces, living space, and social life are all sort of tied up in each other. And, um, they, 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 they trail off with, um, uh, with the potential to foreclose, restrict, or open up future social conditions. Xenofeminists must become attuned to the language of architecture as a vocabulary for collective choreography, the coordinated writing of space, um, yeah nice and then the next bit uh, kind of finishes off that thought by bringing it into the domestic sphere um, and calls for kind of a reimagining of um, of the home right Um, and kind of you know why? Why take the um, the sort of edible domestic sphere that we know as a given, right? Like, um, why not build uh, communal workshops and trans- and sort of um, laboratories and these sorts of uh, futuristic living spaces? You know, um,
2: I love, love, love this paragraph.
1: <laughs> yeah, no.
2: it's so good. <laughs> you know, we see too well that reinvention family structure, and domestic life are currently only possible at the cost of either withdrawing from the economic sphere, the way of the commune, or bearing its burdens many fold, the way of the single parent. We want to break Mm -hmm. that inertia uh, of the nuclear family unit then um we have to overhaul the material infrastructure and break the economic cycles that lock it in place yes it is capitalism that traps us in you know the two two family 2.5 kid home in america you know it's a very isolationist it's a very individualist like you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps every every person for themselves um and and i think that this is a great critique of that and like a you know Breaking down the 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 idea of the the family or of the home, um, and that a lot of I think um, polyamorous queer activists are working on doing now.
1: Yeah, yeah, boy, uh, yeah. This this definitely speaks to me a lot. Um, I yeah, I, like I just add um, that you know what I what I've seen in my time in Japan is that like yeah the the you know capitalism can absolutely reinforce the nuclear family in uh you know in in america um and, in very destructive ways uh but um in in the case of a country like japan it can uh, reinforce the structures of a multi-generational family in incredibly destructive and toxic ways. Um, It's it's not necessarily the fact that it's not like, oh, should we choose this structure of relation or this structure of relation? It's the fact that capitalism tends to prescribe a model and you stick to that model, right? And that is like absolutely harmful to many, many people. Um, it certainly has been something I've struggled with very, very deeply in my life. And I absolutely feel the economic burden (laughs) of, yeah,
2: (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, live that way too, um, you Mm -hmm. know, have to share homes with multi-generational and and multiple, multiple parents, you know, friend parenting, uh, Mm -hmm. if you can't afford, or, or, you know, the millennial curse or whatever, or like moving back in with your parents. Like if you mm-hmm. can't afford to have your own family anymore. Like you, if you can't afford the capitalist idea ideal anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then and then you get, you know, look at like uh Casio Cortez, like <laughs> getting attacked for uh <laughs> for ha- not being able to afford to move to DC and uh, and, and and like her pl- her place of work right like you know it, it's yeah it's that capitalist ideal is being policed right there mm-hmm. um,
0: yeah um yeah and so the, this the section closes out with the the um the call to to overhaul the material infrastructure and break the these kind of economic cycles to keep this stuff going because these are again entangled phenomena right like um yeah, but the the next section then takes on to um, to biohacking. And, um, yes,
2: <laughs> Akira, yeah, this, this
0: is your this is your field of expertise, I believe.
2: I'm not, I mean, I'm not super expertisey. <laughs> but like, but I am very interested in it. So I love how this paragraph is talking about uh, the DIY HRT that uh, a lot of trans folks use. They they Mm -hmm. first got their hormones, you know, online illegally because doctors wouldn't give it to them. Um, And so it talks about the idea of bodily autonomy, like gaining, gaining autonomy over our bodies through gaining understanding and use of medical tools. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, and this is so cool. Uh, You know, the rise of the internet and the hydra of black market pharmacies, it let loose together with a publicly accessible archive of endocrinology, endocrinological know-how was instrumental in wresting control of the hormonal economy away from gatekeeping institutions seeking to mitigate threats to establish distributions of the sexual. This is like such a ladyish I mean, like I'm just like freaking out right now about like the possible <laughs> overturnment of Roe versus Wade. Like what in America, like abortions mm-hmm. that are hard enough to get already, by the way, yeah. would then be illegal again. And like, You know how a lot of biohacking movements are about are are about this. They're about the politics of the body and giving access to marginalized people things that they don't have through the system.
1: Yeah, absolutely, real good. (laughs) Yeah, it's real
2: good. (laughs) That's that's something I care about. You know, and I uh, you know I know a lot of people with depression. My partner has type one diabetes, and just like what the health industry does to us is horrific and. If we had access to biohacking, that wouldn't even be a problem anymore. <laughs> yeah,
0: and one thing that sort of um, occurred to me is that this this throws into kind of stark relief just how how much all this sort of stuff is considered is conditioned by the social. In that, like, if you th- th- this this stuff would like seem to be less of an issue for um, you know somebody who maybe lives in a country with a national health service where they can they can just go to a doctor and get the hormones, you know, like or where it's 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 easier. Like and the the gatekeeping is so much more obvious when you're able to contrast, um, you know, that these people over here have easy access. These people over
1: here don't um, and and need to need to rely on the black market stuff. Um, Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, I guess it's a matter of degree, right? Like having the public provision of medical goods um, is, is absolutely a way to open things up. Of course, we need to be conscious of the ways in which public health services are also conditioned by, you know, heteronormative patriarchy.
0: Yeah, right. Because because it's still within that sort of realm of deciding uh, deciding what's inside the fence and what's out. Right. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Even, even in the in, there are probably there are things that you know, t- today are considered outside of the, the, the realm of the NHS, which really, really should be inside of its realm and so on. So it's, but what I mean is that it highlights precisely that there is this, um, this fence that a, a thing is placed either on the inside of or on the outside of, and that is, uh, subject to social control, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And I love how this posits that we need to make that ourselves. Like we need to take it, take that from them.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> need to, to take control of the fence Yeah, <laughs> or, or knock down mean, the fence. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Which, which is a power powerful for a manifesto, but again, goes back to the, well, not super realistic, you know, yeah, we can't, right. we can't all become doctors and then, you know, do the studies needed to advance women's medicine so that we understand what birth control actually does,
1: you know, <laughs> like, that's why we need a collective project. Right. Like, right. <laughs> I mean this this is about seizing the means of self production and uh, and and self-modification and, and that can be a collective process
0: yeah yeah and they, they make reference to the open source sort of stuff again here like but in, in um, you know by by comparison so like and is it possible to build this this stuff in such a way that it's um you know still like because i mean like you, you you take an open source software project and install it and run it it's it's going to be pretty safe right like there, there's a collective process ongoing that makes it um makes it so that it's uh, not a complete crapshoot um is it possible to do the same for this and they, they actually they trail off with a question mark to that effect like um can we make this this biohacking have the um the same sort of social dynamics and sort of controls as um as the open source software movement had um yeah, so, um, so Kyle, what's the next one about uh, 0x17? All
1: right. Um, from the global to the local, from the cloud to our bodies, xenofeminism avows the responsibility in constructing new institutions of technomaterialist hegemonic proportions. Like engineers who must conceive of a total structure as well as the molecular parts from which it is constructed, XF emphasizes the importance of the mesopolitical sphere against the limited effectiveness of local gestures, uh, creation of autonomous zones, and sheer horizontalism, just as it stands against transcendent or top-down impositions of values and norms. The mesopolitical area of xenofeminism's universalist ambitions comprehends itself as a mobile and intricate network of transits between these polarities. As pragmatists, we invite contamination as a mutational driver between such frontiers. So, yeah, uh, perhaps... there are many listeners who are not familiar with the notion of uh, the mesopolitical, mesopolitical. Uh, so um, one re- place where I have encountered this is when I, I used to do work in economics. Um, there were uh, people who were studying, um, like, especially people from the, the uh, regulationist school in France, uh, we're studying uh, meso-economic phenomena, which is to say phenomena that are in between the level of the macro and the micro. That's what the meso is about. So the meso-political is saying, "Look, localism, micropolitics are not going to get us there." However, we also recognize that to simply, uh, you know, by fiat. Uh, try to change the whole world is not really a a starter right so let's think about the in-between area let's try to explore that space of action instead of um, focusing all our energy on the micro and 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 as they say like as pragmatists we invite contamination as a mutational driver between such frontiers which is to say like the mezzo is a space that can sort of reconcile like the micro the macro and like various horizontal concerns um yeah this um this reminded me a bit of um
0: the the viable system model and the sort of recursion mm, yeah um yeah
2: this reminded me of the other book i was talking about the mushroom at the end of the world mm. Um, because she talks a whole lot about capitalism <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in that book, because it talks about kind of like, um, uh, how sales work by finding, you know, Matsutake mushrooms in Oregon and then selling them to Japan. Um, mm. and there's this whole part where she talks about, um, non-capitalism and peri-capitalism, Mm -hmm. and like academics right now who are kind of working on an in-between capitalism like basically you know if we get rid of capitalism what do we do next well it's the next step of capitalism that there were and i think they're calling it peri-capitalism so that i don't know it's just interesting this reminded me of this don't don't tear everything down (laughs) like yeah (laughs) yeah move on that that's ridiculous obviously but here move on to the (laughs) next step
1: Yeah, it's thinking about that in-between as a a productive space, right? Yeah. Um, So we're moving on to the overflow section,
0: which is the kind of closing section, um, and 0x18, um, which starts out with, uh, XF asserts that adapting our behavior for an era of Promethean complexity is a labor requiring patience but a ferocious patience at odds with waiting. So this is, again, sort of putting it in the sort of active, you know, best foot forward sort of sense. And they're, they're sort of being very active here about, like, asking, how are we to become hosts of this new world? How do we build better semiotic parasites? And um, how do we build new forms of unselfish solidarity and collective self-mastery so it's kind of um taking responsibility for engineering the uh, mimetic contagion that they intend to uh, to, to proliferate and um, and actively reflecting on this like how what what is the world we want to create and how will I in this moment act in such a way as to bring it about mm. uh, yeah powerful you know. <laughs>
2: This sounds like cyber witchcraft to me.
0: Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I'm
2: <laughs> yeah, like uh, take, taking control, t- seizing the power of the memes. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Yes, yes. Okay, that's, that's a really fun angle, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like I quite I quite like that um, that uh, paragraph because it, it also pushes it onto the reader, right? Like how how are you going to become a host of this new world? And it's it's a, it's it's much it's much more than just a sort of the, the authors um, just blathering about how about about their views. It's like very much framing it in like this. No, this is this isn't actually a project. This is a thing to do, not simply a thing to dream about.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah and I love how it invites um it invites the reader to join right mm-hmm. like you're a part of this uh you need to take action too and i'm asking you how can we do it like how can you do it so cool
1: yeah and, and um oh yeah this this sort of pointing out of um the autophagic orgy of indignity or rage um <laughs> I, I feel like is is definitely like say like hey let's uh let's 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 step back from that kind of uh, ongoing uh, thing that is happening online and and let's 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 think about what we're doing here. Right. Uh, Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a huge part of feminism to be angry. Um, mm. so anger is good. Right. Mm. But I think this is specifically calling out the orgy of rage. Like yeah. <laughs> the, and like what you're talking about that you often see online where, uh, it's like a, it's like a self feeding machine of like, uh, what is it? Like articles that, that are infuriating or like the most shared articles or something. Yes. And, and so like, um, it, it, I think it's, it's calling that out for what it is.
0: Mm. I've just um, I've just looked up what autophagic means. Um, autophagy is the natural, regulated, destructive mechanism of the cell that disassembles unnecessary or dysfunctional components.
2: Oh, mm.
0: oh yeah. boy, yes. yeah. So like self-destructive. Yeah, yeah. It's self-destructive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: I didn't know that. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs>
0: that's a fun I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is that word? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, that makes it more powerful.
1: Yes. It, that
2: that's it like do. a concept of kind of like biohacking.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, you can actually draw, like, a one-to-one, you know, connection there between the the, the diagnosis and the the action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, moving on to 0x19,
0: um, I'll take this one because I think there's a bit here that bears some explaining, and I I think almost no one will actually get the reference they're making. Um, So, is xenofeminism a program? Not if this means anything so crude as a recipe or a single-purpose tool by which... A determinate problem is solved, we prefer to think like the schemer or Lisper, who seeks to construct a new language in which the problem at hand is immersed, so that the solutions for it and for any number of related problems might unfurl with ease. Now, this is a reference to the Lisp family of programming languages, of which Scheme is a member. And the, the gist of why that's important is that if you're if you're a programmer and you're presented with some problem, like I don't know taking a bunch of CSV files and sending them somewhere or whatever. Um, if you're using a language like Python, you just sort of sit down and you write Python that solves the problem. With Lisp or Scheme or these sorts of languages from this kind of family, these, these languages are so flexible that what you actually end up doing is you you create a sub-language in which you can express the problem and then you use that to solve the problem. So. It's a kind of a classic thing about Lispers is that they, they end up writing essentially their own languages and that fit the problem domain and then solving the problem using that secondary tool. Um, and what they're making reference to here is that same malleability that like you're and the same like construction of a language with which to just to tackle the problem rather than simply, you know, sitting down and and, and typing through the, the, the problem itself, um, so that, that's what they're getting at here. Yeah, That I mean, is it, so cool. Yeah. So, like, Lisp is a language for making languages. That's, yeah. how, that's how it's often.
2: <laughs> ah, that just opened yeah. up a whole new meaning for me in this paragraph.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's ooh, what, what a reference to make. Like, yeah, God and damn. It, it, it is an excellent <laughs> reference. It's a fantastic reference. Um, and, and it is... Um, i i i really like it because yeah it is it is that implication of uh, the problem and the response right that that the data the data becomes like deeply implicated in the structures that work on the data and 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 yeah that is the uh, it's it's a very fascinating uh, programming paradigm and it's it's so interesting to see it generalized into um a, a a sort of political uh approach. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's that's such a great metaphor how oppressive structures work and how feminism p- kind of points it out. Like feminism is the sub language, uh in, in that metaphor. Like uh mm. like you know how um like gen- like gender studies are like ninety nine percent done by men, right? Mm. So they have like the the bias of the people doing the studies right so the the thing being created has bias of who's creating it. That's, that's so cool.
0: yeah, it's fun. um yeah, I, I really like this notion of um because it gives you it gives you sort of an active agency in crafting crafting the platform from which you're going to actually tackle the thing and it's it also has this like uh, as they sort of say here like an in- incrementally bootstraps itself into existence which is another sort of characteristic of uh, of lisp like languages where the um the core of the language is tiny and the rest of the rest of the language is written in lisp you know what i mean like where it's um it's sort of defined in its own terms and and put it it's it's a you know it's a thing that pulls itself up by the bootstraps um which again leans into the kind of viral um metaphor that's been or that the sort of viral vibes that have been going on throughout this whole piece right
1: yeah it's uh it's a it's a beautiful uh use of um of computational metaphors and linguistic metaphors um, yeah oh it's that autopoesis bit again yeah.
2: yeah the last the last part of this paragraph uh, made me feel better about baby stuff
0: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> because it it, it says ours is a transformation of seeping directed subsumption rather than rapid overthrow Mm -hmm. it is a transformation of deliberate construction seeking to submerge the white supremacist capitalist patriarchy in a sea of procedures that soften its shell and dismantle its defenses so as to build a new world from the scraps oh that is beautiful that is like that makes me feel good about not Solved right now. And like that is a frustration that is so easy to get into as like mm. a queer feminist, right? Like, why don't we have, why hasn't this changed in 50 years? Why are we still having the same conversation? Why do I still have to have this argument online? You know, I think you get like so worn out. And mm. it, it goes back to the idea of like patience, you know, that was talked about, I think, in the previous paragraph. Um, yeah, requiring patience, but a ferocious patience at odds with waiting, like that feeling of like, why don't we have this? And like, and the the image of like the ocean drowning white supremacist
1: capitalist. Picture
2: <laughs> <laughs> is just like, there's something so satisfying about that imagery. It like makes me feel better about being patient. Like, I don't know. It's just, that was very like cathartic for me.
1: Yeah. It's it's very good. I, I like I like it on so many levels. Like the, the um this this use of this kind of almost like digestive metaphor is is really interesting. And and um when they when they talk about um, seeping directed subsumption rather than rapid overthrow, I think that's such an interesting engagement with um the language of Marxism. Uh because in Marx's account of subsumption the process is very much undirected right um it, it, it you know it's it is it is a is a sort of like long term process of capitalism coming to subsume the rest of the world and remake it in its image right but you know in response to that you know whereas like we, we often think about, okay, so there there is like the circuit of capital, there is this kind of like atomic unit or this this uh, genetic uh, unit of capitalism that can proliferate and expand and reproduce capitalism. You know, that, that's sort of the thing that, that Marx is, is drawing out in capital. In, in response to that, we often think like, as Marx himself did, that we need a conscious directed highly organized system of social change to fight back against that to control it to um get it get it in hand and to to eliminate it right to 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 eliminate this kind of viral thing that capitalism is but if we think about this in terms of like you know that is the rapid overthrow right the, the leninists uh, uh, seizing of state power If we think about it instead as this like seeping directed subsumption, which is to say, like, you know, it's not one system of social planning, it's not one party um, and one Politburo that is going to get this done. Um, It is a a multitude of directed processes, right? Which may be just as sort of auto poetic as capitalism itself is, right? Um, and and, and the way they tie that into this sort of like digestive very like biological metaphor as opposed to going to like the language of physics which is very much where you know the oppositional forces and uh, like lots of sort of like war language that is typically used in Marxism uh, comes from Uh, I, I think it's a very nice conceptual metaphorical move they make here that really helps to just reframe the problem.
2: Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of Octavia Butler and Ursula K. Le Guin in this paragraph, mm-hmm. like um, like the seed theory, you know, Ursula K. Le Guin seed pouch or seed bag or whatever. We have to plant right. the seeds um, to make the change. Not use a sword and kill it. And that we have to, and that's like innately feminine, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and that we, uh, in Octavia Butler, you know, just sounds like the parable of the sour where she's like, I know how to change this, this post-apocalyptic hellscape we're in. I just have to invent a new religion that everyone has to follow. And that religion (laughs) will, will change. It's using those tools to change the same tools, just subverting them. It's just super cool. Like lots of sci-fi you know, feminist ideas here that are kind of summed up, like you said, kind of like through, like with the Marxism as well. Super, super interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's sort of a, this, this definitely fits in that kind of post accelerationist milieu as well, where um, the accelerationists look at capital and it's sort of rhizomatic nature and they conclude that it can't be beaten but this is a call to create something that's, that outperforms capital right. at its own game. Yeah. Uh, that is, is even more viral and, and, um, and corrosive than, than capital is. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: yeah, yeah. real good.
0: Fantastic, yeah. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, so Kira, do you want to lead us out on the, the, last, uh, sure. the last section?
2: Sure. Um, xenofeminism indexes the desire an alien feature with a triumphant X on a mobile map. This X does not mark a destination. It is the insertion of a topological keyframe for the formation of new logic. Just kind of talking about everything we just talked about right there. Uh, In affirming a future untethered to the repetition of the present, we militate for ampliative capacities. For spaces of freedom, with a richer geometry than the aisle, the assembly line, and the feed. I love that sentence. We need new affordances of perception and action unblinkered by naturalized identity. In the name of feminism, nature shall no longer be a refuge of injustice or a basis for any political justification whatsoever. If nature is unjust, change nature.
0: Yep. (laughs) Good stuff. So good. So good.
2: I love that they break it down into uh, like they're even taking it into kind of like the the ecofeminism of like uh, you know cows being forcefully impregnated and uh, just the the whole system of what what this might look like. Yeah,
1: and, and you can also read that as like the Twitter feed, right?
2: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> totally the social media uses all kinds of f-
1: yeah it's it's it definitely works both ways
2: oh yeah that's that's what's so good about that word
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so um i thoroughly enjoyed reading this um there's i think there's a couple of i mean amongst all the, the it's a pretty short work and it's pretty dense but um i think there's there's a couple of duds maybe there's one or two that are a bit um not not especially not not they're not up to the standard of the rest of them i think that's why they stand mm. out um but yeah. overall this is this is compelling stuff um yeah
1: very compelling yeah um i i i completely agree um i think that this text definitely benefits from the sort of treatment we've given it of going through point by point and discussing it and drawing things out um because there are some parts of it that can be a little bit, like, elliptical, a little bit um, less punchy than you might want in a manifesto. But when you sit down and talk each one over, which, you know, was kind of, kind of the point of the Communist Manifesto in the, in the first place, right, was to get workers to pick it up and read it out in their workplaces and then talk about it. Um, it, it definitely benefits from that. Um, and I, I would also say that, like, um, if you want to check up check out the 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 follow up follow up book uh xeno-feminism um it's also really good at being very like it, it it presents a lot of similar ideas in a less sort of like punchy manifesto form so like it's very clear and it 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 takes the space necessary to develop the ideas so um it's a really great complement to this document I've um I've only gotten through one chapter of the book
0: so far. It's very I think it's really good. It's very well written, and um, I think it its style is a lot easier to grapple with because like um like I, I found this discussion here of this um this manifesto to be really help- helpful because like some of the language in this is very twisty turny, and it it probably makes more sense if you're immersed in. Um, In in this sort of milieu, but like for me, it was a a a couple of these paragraphs completely just bounced off me. Um, I I couldn't really extract much of anything from them. But then talking them over here um, has helped a lot. I didn't have that trouble at all with the book so far. Um, It's a lot more plain spoken. Um, But hey, it's a manifesto. They're 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 putting on a show, right? Like it's um,
2: (laughs) it's a big song and a
0: dance, you know. Well, I mean,
2: also also much how Donna Haraway writes. So it's just just very. Dense and layered and difficult. I think. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm
0: glad
1: it's not just me then.
2: Yeah, it, <laughs> I, it's, just, it's very academic. It's very heavy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think, um, given the back, the academic background that some of this collective is coming from, um, they did a pretty good job of writing. A text that is understandable and has punch, you know, which is what you want in a manifesto. Like you don't want a, a, a doctoral thesis, right? You you want it to to just hit, right? And and yeah, it, that's really tough coming from an academic background where you're trained to do the opposite. Um, so I I am I'm impressed with what they've done here.
2: Yeah, yeah, this is really interesting in relation to you know just like I said the other. Fun- um academ- academic stuff i've been reading that's more recent right like mm-hmm. how a lot of feminists moved into talking about the anthropocene and now they're moving into talking about xenofeminism like the xenofeminism book just came out this year or earlier this right, year right yes so this is like edge of your seat feminism
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: which, which is hard i mean it's hard to find like a lot of a lot of seen you know, is from the 80s and 90s so so a lot of, it's great to just even have stuff like this being made and mm-hmm. discussing our contemporary issues in a collected volume like that, like the stuff with social media and globalization and automation and all that, uh, which is like hu- huge, feminist issues. So, so it's really interesting to kind of see like the feminism thing when I, when I first I it might be talking about what Donna Haraway was talking about at the end of Staying with the Trouble, which is kind of like, she's like, we need to create sci-fi futures and tell stories about what the future might look like and how we might, we might build within the ruins of this culture, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, how important it is to create, to create those stories, like stories of building communities, stories of building tools, instead of like the post-apocalyptic pornography that we're obsessed with right now, like the end of the world. And she you know, that mm-hmm. these feminists are positing like, hey, the end of the world is already here and we need to, to start rebuilding. Here's how we could do it. And I think because you know feminism is pointing towards that as well.
0: Yeah. It's um yeah, it's great. And I mean said this is a recurring theme for the show the show, right? That like it's nice to have stuff that's up to date, you know, and yeah. actually tackles stuff that is relevant right now. Um Yeah, that's great. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to mention
1: before we we wrap this one up? Uh, I think I would just say on that point that, you know, this final line, if nature is unjust, change nature. Well, you know, in relation to the sort of climate catastrophe and the um, utter collapse of biodiversity in the world that we are facing today, um, we have changed nature we just did it in a terrible direction and that uh that really gets back to the point at the start of the manifesto is which you know is saying that like yeah technology is not politically ambivalent and none of these processes are politically ambivalent and therefore it's incumbent on us to change nature and change it towards the sorts of normative goals we want to see in the world um and so yeah so i think it's it's very very well uh well stated there yeah yeah i like it
0: um if we're going to change nature which we do and are then we better be a directed process
2: yeah (laughs) Uh, yes not this this headless
1: (laughs) dead-eyed drive that we have uh, at the moment yeah which is the big fuck you to accelerationism right yeah Mm -hmm. i'm here for it get out of here Nick Lant. <laughs> <laughs> i love how ruthlessly mean we
0: were to nick land in our in the episode. just like just gut punching him over and over again and i'll, I'll never apologize for that I'll...
1: no no
0: no mm. if he wants to fight i will rent a boxing ring i <laughs> will yeah, stump up the money for it and we can watch that fight. <laughs> yeah exactly oh boy. oh boy um yeah uh Thanks, listeners, for coming along on this uh, journey with us. Uh, thanks, Kira, for uh, graciously coming in with us too. And um, yeah, it was it was fantastic. Um, I'm glad to have you know a perspective on this that isn't just us, you know, just t- two two jocks just sort of <laughs> rabbiting about this stuff. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we would never have a- t- attempted to to read this on the show if um, if we couldn't get someone who. Who wasn't us to, uh, to talk about it all So um, Well yeah, that's,
2: that's very xenofeminist of you
1: Very <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you You brought so much mm-hmm. To this discussion on so many levels And I'm so happy to participate Have participated in it with you God Yay. can you imagine how
0: bad this, this episode would have been if it was just us Just cluelessly <laughs> Stumbling through the material <laughs> <laughs> Absolute buffoons. <laughs> oh,
2: gosh. <laughs> I think you both did pretty well. I loved all your. Like Marxist, oh, yeah. Marxism and philosophy and stuff like that, too. Yeah, thanks.
0: Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's it for xenofeminism. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, uh, maybe think about uh, heading over to Twitter, uh, unit pod, uh Maybe follow us there. We're on Facebook as General Intellect Unit, and um, if you really enjoyed the show, maybe head over to patreon.com slash Unit uh, to throw us a couple of bucks a month and, um, you know, help keep the show running. And um, uh, guests get the last word. Uh, Kira, is there anything you'd like to plug or online stuff, etc.?
2: Oh, yeah, I have a ton of online stuff. Um, I... Uh um, full-time. I write tabletop role-playing games and LARPs and weird experimental stuff. I just finished um, my game Something is Wrong Here, which is a, a strange identity confusion uncanny game based on the work of David Lynch, um, which if you like David Lynch you will like this game, um, soon to be available to the public. Fantastically kickstarted. And um, I also have a game A Cozy Den, which is in which you play snakes who are trying to make their winter den together um and you can you can find those on my website um my game design company is called serpent cyborg games and you can find me uh on patreon as well at kira McGran and on twitter at kira nunzi
0: yeah we'll uh, we'll throw links to this stuff into the show notes as well um uh... So, you have to just take through. Um, fantastic. Yeah. Um, thanks again, listeners, for uh, coming with us. Thanks, Kira. And we'll uh, see you all again in a couple weeks. Bye-bye. Bye
2: bye. Bye. Bye.